walked ahead of you. And every night as you lay down, angels are camping all around. You'll never be alone, for He is in the midst. He's in the midst of our storm. He's in the valley we walk through, where two or three are gathered in His name. He'll be there too. When you feel so all alone, He is standing next to you. He's with us now, our Lord, He's in the midst. Into the prison they were thrown, Paul and Silas were alone. They knew their God was there, and He see them through. So when the walls began to shake and their change just fell away, they cried, Behold our God, for He is in the midst. He's in the midst of our storm. He's in the valley we walk through. Where two or three are gathered in His name, He'll be there too. When you feel so all alone, He standing next to you. He's with us now. Our Lord, He's in the midst. He's with us now. Our Lord, He's in the If you will, this morning, open your Bibles with me to Galatians 2. Let's stand as we read verse 20. Galatians 2 and verse 20 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's bow. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for allowing us to come out, study your word this morning. Dear Lord, help us this morning as we study this to allow the gospel to change our lives. Dear Lord, help us to live every day and seek your will, not our own. Dear Lord, just thank you so much for this church and what she stands for in the community. In your name I pray. Amen. 
So as I was preparing to, to preach a few weeks in, the, in this transition period, I, I said, and I told a few of the deacons, I said, man, I, I'm going to take this opportunity to do a series. And so if you'll remember two weeks ago, we were in Galatians 1, and you may not remember, that's okay. Uh, but we were in Galatians 1, and we talked about there's only one gospel. And as I began to look at Galatians 2, this beautiful story is just carried out throughout Galatians. And really, it's an overtone. The theme over the whole book is there is freedom in Christ. There's freedom. And He has set us free from the bondage of sin. And listen, if we are free from the bondage of sin, we should live differently than we did before. And so, in light of that, Galatians 2, I just said the gospel changes people. The gospel changes the way we act. It should change the way we act, the way we go about living our day to day. And don't worry, I've already heard it this morning. Uh, I've preached the last two times 30 minutes. And so I shortened your outline. There's only two main points today, okay? And then as soon as I told somebody that, I get the comment, well, there's eight sub-points, and, and I understand we're going to get through it. We're going to get through the whole chapter of Galatians 2 today, believe it or not. I will move quickly. But one of the things I looked at as I saw this, as I said, man, we, if, if the gospel, if we saturate ourselves in the gospel and make that a part of our everyday lives, it's going to change the way we see things. And so the first thing, I, I, the first point you have there in your bulletin is the eyes of the saved. And, and really just what that means is, is as saved people, we should have a different outlook on things. So, so look here with me at Galatians 2, and we're just going to start in the first verse and read 1 through 3. Then four, 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them who, which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And, and, and just to break this down for you real quick, uh, Paul goes here to Jerusalem and, and there's these men of reputation. And we find out later that uh, in this group there was at least a few people we know, James, uh, Cephas or Peter, John, and, and they seem to be pillars in the church. And so those are the people that uh, Paul went to to present the gospel that he'd been given by God. And he, and he states the reason he did that is he didn't want to run in vain. And listen, I don't think Paul, let me, let me put it this way. I know Paul believed in the gospel message. And I don't think that he believed that what he was preaching was wrong. What he wanted here and what he says about running in vain is he knew that God was not the author of confusion and he didn't want there to be any confusion in the gospel message. And so he goes and he presents the gospel which he heard to James, John, and Peter. And and he begins to tell them, and and that verse 3, it says, But neither Titus, who was with me, 
being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And as many of you know, and we go back to two weeks ago, the whole issue, it seems here, as we start into the book of Galatians, is does a Christian have to be circumcised to be saved? And if you just want to take all that out, really, here's what it is, is does a Christian have to change their outward appearance before God to get the benefits of salvation? And the answer is no. Absolutely not. And here we see in verse 3 that Titus needed nothing other than faith and faith itself. Paul, if if you've seen um, the movie Frozen, I quoted Frozen here. Paul is not bringing a fixer-upper to this church. He's not bringing somebody that they can dress up, that they can make like them, that they can change. He's not doing that with Titus. What he's doing with Titus is bringing a man who he's seen in his life, the example of the gospel changing a man, and he presents him before this council here at Jerusalem. And when they looked at him, they said, he's good. There's nothing else you need to do to him. He's good. He, he has accepted Christ by faith. He, he was bringing this man of faith who, be, who he believed was saved by the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Why this was a so, so big of an issue is Jews hated Gentiles. And if you were classified as a Greek, that was a Gentile, a heathen. Uh, they weren't circumcised like them. They didn't have the knowledge of God's Word like them. They didn't grow up studying it like them. And they, in the Jewish perspective, were heathens. The men here that Paul is presenting Titus to grew up Jewish. And they were indoctrinated with that from, from the very small children up that that gentiles are people to be hated gentiles are the heathens and and we know if you study much of the bible heathens are a lot of times considered dogs and that's how previously before the grace of god entered this uh these people on the council at jerusalem that's how they view gentiles But then I see the gospel message just changing their lives. And I'm not talking about Paul and Titus here. I'm talking about that council, those group of men, John, James, and Peter. As they stood there and they looked at Titus, their minds were completely changed from when they were a young kid. And they see Titus as a man of faith, a brother in Christ. And they accepted him as he was. I believe this happens a lot in our minds. We see people that we wouldn't particularly talk to. Maybe they dress a different way than we do. Maybe they surround themselves with a crowd that we're not really interested in. God needs to open our eyes up. God needs to open our eyes up so that we see all men with the same way this council saw Titus. They saw a man that needed faith and he had faith. And we need to look at people and realize that all they need is faith. 
Not only that, if you'll skip down a few scriptures with me in verse 4, it says, And that because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privately, privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seem to be somewhat whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. You see, Paul's describing these men that came in and then they were spying out, they were looking and they were observing the freedom, the liberty that they had in Christ. And and if you read that there, it plainly says in verse 4 that they wanted to bring them back into bondage. That was their whole purpose of being there. And And, and as I look at this, and I look at verse 6 in particular, it says something that just as we glance through here, we might not catch. It says, but of these who seem to be somewhat whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter uh, to me, God accepteth no man's person. And as I read across that God accepted no man's person, I thought, there's something there because I know God accepted me, right? And, and what that literally means, if we go back to the original language and read through that, God accepts no man's outward being. He's concerned with the heart. He's concerned with the heart. He, he's not in the business of accepting us whether we have good dress shoes or bad dress shoes. He's not in that business. He's in the business of looking at the heart and seeing where it's at. First Samuel, we have an awesome depiction of this in First Samuel chapter 16 and verse 6 through 7. It says, And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Okay, this is Samuel. He's looking at this guy and he said, Woo, this guy is tall. This guy is muscular. This is the type of guy Israel needs for a king. And then if you skip down and look at verse 7, it says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, his outward appearing, outward appearance, or how he appears to you, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. You know, I wish I could see the heart. And I desire to see the heart. And as saved people, I think we need to start searching for people's hearts rather than how they look on the outside. We need to see that, try to see what God sees and realize that their outward appearance is not what's going to get them to heaven, but their heart and their, if their heart is right with God. Just to use a little extreme illustration here, I want to, as crazy as this might sound, what if someone in our congregation uh, was willing to sing in the choir? And the Lord had blessed them with this great singing talent, and they were, they were ready to sing in the choir. But they had too long of a hair. 
you know, it came down past the shoulders. They really, they needed to cut it. Would we do that? Would we confront them and say, listen, you've got too long a hair to sing in our choir? No, we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't do that. We, we couldn't even imagine that. But literally, these Judaizers, that's where they were at. They were saying, you've got to change your physical appearance to go before God, to serve God, and, and not really their appearance, but their structure or whatever. They're saying you need to change that because you can't be used of God. That's exactly what these Judaizers were doing. It says in verse 4, they came out to spy their liberty. Why? So they could bring them into bondage. The gospel freed the Jewish men from their perceived ideas about following the law to find peace with God. And now they realized that they could rest on faith alone to find peace with God. To be brought into bondage... And I do this. I think of things a little different. But imagine with me just for a moment a bird cage with a bird in it, a little tweety bird. And it's in there and it's just banging against the wall to get out. And so you open the door. And then the bird's just banging on the wall trying to get out, but the door is wide open. That's how I see these Judaizers. They've been freed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they're in the middle of this cage, banging the cage, trying to get out and trying to realize where the freedom comes from when the door is wide open. You know, not only do we need to be concerned with the heart, not only do we need to see people with their only necessity being faith, but we need to have a vision of reaching as many as we can. If you look at verses 7 through 9 in our text, Galatians 2, it says, But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcised was committed unto me as the gospel of the circumcised was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And then verse 9. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcised. These men, these pillars in in this church at Jerusalem, realized that the gospel was absolutely for everybody, and we need to reach them. He said, Peter, you go over here. Paul, you go over here. Let's get as many as we can. We need a vision to reach as many people as we can with the gospel of Christ. It's the only message of hope we have. I think sometimes our vision is clouded. Uh, what What if we could get every person that attends church saved? What if we could get people in our community coming to church? What if we could get people of Ashley County to attend regularly? That's not our limit. 
everyone needs the gospel. Everyone in in Ashley County, in every county in Arkansas, the world needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. And promised land can have that effect. Uh, You know, ten ten or so years ago, and I I just thought of this this week, ten or so years ago, if you'd have told me that people would drive all the way from Crossit to promised land to attend church regularly, I'd have probably laughed. Because I, I had limits. But listen, people everywhere need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if that's what we're proclaiming, they'll be here. It's the only message of hope to anyone. The Jerusalem Council here recognized something that we ought not soon to forget. That the effect of promised land has is limitless if God is in it. The council of men here realized that the Gentiles needed Jesus just as much as they did. This church at Jerusalem sent Paul and Barnabas as fellow laborers of the gospel, even if it was to a different kind of people. We ought to not be nearsighted when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to see the full vision that everybody needs the gospel. Not only that, but opportunity seeking. We need to be people who seek out the opportunity to share the gospel. And where I get this from is look at verse 10. These these men here, the pillars of the church here, it says they reminded Paul in verse 10, only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I was also, or I also was forward to do. Paul says, they, they reminded me to remember the poor, but guess what? I already wanted to remember the poor. And, and, and I stumbled on that verse this week and I thought, what does this mean? Why, why just remember the poor? Why did they remind Paul of this? And then it hit me as I, I began to look at some of Jesus' teachings on the poor. First of all, uh, if you will, look at Luke 4 and verse 18. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Let's look at this real quick. And this is what I really focused on this week as I looked at this. Uh, let, let's skip down to route in here. It says, He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. What do brokenhearted people need? Healing. Right? And then He says, To preach deliverance to the captive. What do captive people need? Deliverance. And then it says, And recovering of sight to the blind. What do blind people need? To recover their sight. And, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, and then that bruised word means oppressed. People who are oppressed need liberty. And so you go back and then you look at, what does it say? To, for me to preach the gospel to the poor. The poor are people who live in such a way where they have no hope. 
And let me tell you, the, the root word for the gospel is good news. Good news. And every person that is poor, every person that is wretched, every person that doesn't have needs good news. And I, and I looked at that and I thought, Jesus had it right here for us. This isn't talking about people that, in particular, that have nothing. It's talking about people who spiritually absolutely have nothing. And, and yes, the poor are, are included in here. And we, we remember that Jesus said, uh, for it, it's almost like a camel going through the eye of the needle. Right? For the rich to inherit eternal life, it's just like that. And the disciples, at amazement, they said, oh, that's impossible. And Jesus said, no. With man, it seems impossible. But with me, it's not. Poor people are people who have no hope. If you look at just a couple of chapters over at Luke 6 and verse 20, what does it say? Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. You take a person who has no hope and tell them that their, their inheritance, theirs is the kingdom of God, that's good news. They have hope. And listen, we go by each and every day and we see people who have no hope. They're struggling with life issues and they're going through everything that we could possibly imagine. And just like Paul and Barnabas, we need to be aware of those people. They are opportunities standing right in front of us to share the gospel. Not only, well, let me, let me add this. A couple of years ago, a song came out, uh, by Brandon Heath, and, and in that song was a simple prayer. And, and that's really where I want to take those words about how we see things. And in this, it says, give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see everything that I keep missing. Give me your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted, the ones that are far beyond my reach. Give me your heart for the ones forgotten. Give me your eyes so I can see. We need to change the way we look at people. We need to see them with the love of Christ and know that they can be reached. Anybody can be reached with the gospel message of Jesus. Not only do we need to change the way we see people, but we need to change the way we live. If you look back at our text, you, you probably have heard about this before when Paul confronts Peter. In Galatians 2.11, it says, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews disassembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their uh, dis- immu- 
Evangelization. That's a big word for me. Uh, verse 14. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou being a Jew livest after the manner of the Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified." Peter here is in a situation, and just to explain it, he, he would go and he would sit down with the Gentiles, have eat a meal, and then when these Jewish brethren, the seemed to be followers of James, came, Peter withdrew himself from the tables, and you know I didn't I don't know them guys kind of thing, and and Paul saw this as a huge problem because Peter was preaching a message which he couldn't live up to. Our lives should match the message that we preach. And and one one guy put it this way, we should preach the gospel and when necessary use words. Our lives matter and the way we live it and the way we present ourselves tell a whole nother message than just the words we say. To a Jew... This concept of dining with the Gentiles was very interesting, and, and you can go and you can study this, but Jewish customs, uh, Jewish beliefs thought that the table, a table at home, was an extension of the altar table of Solomon's temple. And so that's why you see in the New Testament they had very strict hand-washing uh, ordinances and everything matter of fact jesus got in trouble one time because him and the disciples came in they didn't wash their hands and and and, you know it's kind of like grandma's house you go and you're like wash your hands before you eat you're like why well i don't know why but wash them you know and we always say that well we don't want you eating something you know and getting sick i understand that but to them, it was a very, very serious thing to wash your hands because this was an extension of worship for them. And for Peter to sit down with the Gentiles and dine literally said, I accept you. I accept you for who you are. But then when James and his followers came around, Peter withdraws for them and almost as if he's preaching another message. And Paul said it was so serious that Barnabas went after with Paul. I mean, he was following with Paul. And he would do the same thing. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, what if Promised Land, you know, this February it'll be five years that I've been on staff here. And what if Brother Michael is taking me along, uh, you know, the first two years or so and... He's discipling me, helping me, leading me as a young minister. And then all of a sudden, you know, somebody walks into town and says, uh, well, to be saved, you got to drink Kool-Aid. And I just went after that gospel. And I started following down that road. That would be horrible, right? And everybody in here that has invested in my life would be so distraught. Well, that's where Peter, uh, Paul was. 
He had invested in Barnabas and, and the ministry they had together. And now all of a sudden Barnabas has went astray and he's following after what Peter's doing. And so Peter was just very distraught over this uh, happening. Our, the message that we preach with our lives must match the gospel message. And we know that the message uh, of the gospel spans to every race, every tongue, every nation, every one. We need to start living our lives as such. And I'm guilty here. I walk around like the Lord's my best friend. But yet, often, I do not tell people of Him. There are people here in, the t- in this town that I've known my whole life that I don't know their spiritual situation. And if I claim to know Christ but re- refuse to tell others of Him, my life is saying something about my love for Jesus. This is not the message that we ought to be sending. Our lives should no longer be about me and you, but about God. And you can see this in verse 17 through 19. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if building again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor, for I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I live unto God. Paul says, I'm not living to fulfill the law. I know I can't. What these Judaizers were doing is, is literally the law is given to us like a train track. And what I mean by that is the law was given to us so that we knew the direction we should go in this life. The things that we should do, it's a guideline. And what the Jews were trying to do here is they were trying to take that train track and lift it up as a ladder to get to heaven. And that's not what the law was for. Right? And and so Paul goes back to Peter and he says, I know I can't fulfill the law. But that's why God made a way through His Son, Jesus Christ, who died for me. For my sins, for all those times that I could not fulfill the law, Christ died for me. And then he says in verses 20 through 21, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. If I have to fulfill the law to get to heaven, then what Christ did on the cross was of no effect, is what Paul says. Paul tells Peter, this life is no longer about me. It's no longer about the customs that I grew up in. It's about faith in Christ. So much so that Paul says in verse 20, I ought to live by faith. 
Living by faith is putting all my dreams, all my expectations, everything aside and living for the one who gave himself for me even if I can't see the final outcome. As I read through Galatians 2 and I see that in verse 11 they're here in Antioch and and I see what happens here and this confrontation and I saw Paul and Barnabas there at Antioch, I couldn't help but think of another passage where Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch. In Acts 11 and verse 25, it says, Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus, to Tarsus, sorry, for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Why were the disciples called Christians at Antioch? Because their lives matched the message. Christians, the the word itself means like Christ. Like Christ, and, and these Christians at Antioch, they were, they were called Christians because their lives matched the message they were preaching. They were preaching that Jesus died for their sins, and many people came to know the Lord, but there were still people against them. There were still people who didn't believe the message that they preached, and they are the ones that derogatory said they're Christians. Christians was not a praiseworthy name at this point. But I want to tell you this morning, I think that God would be pleased if we were called Christians. As we get ready for a hymn of invitation... I want to ask you this morning, do you desire for God to change your life? Do you desire for God to to take your life and, and to say, Lord, use me. I don't care how I've got to see people. I don't care what you're calling me to do. I don't care, Lord. I want to be used of you. Because if we go before God and we tell Him that, He will use us. And He's going to use us in such a way, just like these disciples, and so much that the people around the community began to talk. And they said, they're just like Christ. And how pleased would God be if that's what people said about us? That's what I want this morning. Is I'm, First and foremost, I want you to know the gospel message that Jesus Christ died for your sins. He was buried and He rose again. As the Scripture says. But I want you to also take that same gospel and apply it to your lives and let it change your lives. 